For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, this is going to be an informational, one of my historical uh, podcasts that I, I often get into to give people who are Nuggets fans who probably, well, like, look, the, what I'm going to be talking about today uh, happened the year I was born. So, obviously, I have no living memory of this, but this is something I've done a lot of research on. And um, to give us context here, the Denver Nuggets, um, as I have discussed in many podcasts, have had, always had ownership issues um, until, basically until Stan Kroenke bought the team back in 2000. And one of those uh, issues was financial. Bill Ringsby notoriously would welch on contracts, and uh, Spencer Haywood uh, famously um, has said to me and uh, and to people in the paper that uh, there was issues with paying players back in the late 60s with the Denver Nuggets. And there has been, over time, a ton of, uh, of, of ways you could put into uh, um, context the struggles because it really kind of mirrored the the Denver Broncos issues uh, in the NFL. Uh, for whatever reason, they the the Nuggets and the Broncos were bought by people who really couldn't fully afford to run a team. Uh, for the for the Broncos, they didn't really get solved until Jerry Phipps and his brother bought the team, uh, and then even then they were always kind of skint. Um, in the Nuggets, it wasn't solved, well, I mean, until, basically, until Stan Kroenke bought them in 2000. But uh, aside from that, there have been great, managed, the Nuggets have managed to field really good teams. And there was a very great team in the 70s um, by evil genius, uh, uh, the, the the kind of the the, the machinations and pitch, pitch man aspect of of Carl Shear managed to put together one of the best teams in basketball from 1974 to 1978. And uh, Carl Shear, through sheer force of will, was able to attract players to the NBA 
Um, basically, from what I understand, a lot of those players that came in, like Thompson, 1975, uh, Marvin Webster, uh, Bobby Jones, who was drafted in uh, or came to the Denver Nuggets in 1974, um, all these players kind of knew the, the momentum was there to get the Denver Nuggets into the NBA. So this wasn't as if there was a wing and a prayer situation with these players. Um, the Denver Nuggets were one of the highlighted teams to come into the league um, because of their overall strength within the context of the league. They're one of the few teams that survived all the way through. And uh, a, a league notorious for financial issues. And this... Uh, this kind of manifested itself in the first year of the NBA. Uh, the Denver Nuggets won 50 games, surprised absolutely everyone uh, in the basketball world that a team coming in from the NBA was that good. Um, I have often said this, uh, that the, the, the New York Nets winning uh, the 1976 ABA Finals was a function of the... Nets having the best player, but not the best team. The Nuggets literally had the best team in the in the ABA that year. The Nuggets won sixty games, I believe, and they were, you know, there was what eight nine teams in the league at that at that point in time. It was a different scenario. You don't, you know, it is, it is not like today where there's thirty two thirty thirty teams, and it is just that that's the way it is. Um, uh, it was a different set of scenarios. You didn't. You played uh, other teams a lot. By the time they get into the uh, NBA, they surprised the NBA. Um, despite the onerous financial issues that were that had been laid upon them, the uh, the Denver Nuggets somehow survived despite having to give up most of their TV money to the to the Silnas. And uh, that uh, uh, in that spirit of St. Louis deal that the NBA brokered, and um, they also managed to overcome basically a massive resistance to the ABA teams that uh, emanated from people like Red Auerbach and the people and the people in the East Coast, particularly the the uh, league lawyer at the time, David Stern, who didn't believe that basketball could survive in a place like Denver, Utah. Um, you know, all these places, he just firmly did not believe that. So you get to 1977 playoffs and the Nuggets end up losing to the eventual champion, uh, uh Portland Trailblazers. The Nuggets were the higher seed. Um, but I think obviously that was one of the great years for a center in basketball history from Bill Walton. Um, and the Nuggets couldn't overcome uh, losing one of the first, I think it was game one in Denver to the Blazers. And uh, it just went downhill from there. They lost the series four two, and the uh, Blazers went on to beat the Philadelphia 76ers for the title um, featuring former ABA player and the person who had beaten the Nuggets the previous year in the finals, uh, Julius Irving. So the Nuggets go into this next season, the 77-78 season, with, an, uh, with a goal. This We need to keep in context here. This is also the rise of the Denver Broncos, uh, coinciding with this enormous fever that was around the Denver Nuggets. Prior to this miracle season from the Broncos, the Nuggets were the best team playing sports in Denver at the time. 
Um, so you had both of these things coinciding at the same time. So you get to the 1977 offseason, and Carl Shearer decides that he needs to make a uh, a deal, and he trades away um, a couple players, and I believe he uh, cuts um, Monty Toe, I think, where was that, the year, the, the offseason before, and um, trades to, with the Kansas City Kings, for um, a guy who had just played for the Kings for one year, a guy named Brian Taylor. Now, Nuggets fans would remember Brian Taylor at that time because Taylor was the backup point guard on the New York Nets, the team that beat the uh, Denver Nuggets in the ABA Finals in 1976. Uh, his role on that team was a stabilizer. He was very good at um, keeping things calm. And particularly um, if you're getting into uh, an era with high-flying offenses and you need to get the ball to Julius Irving, um, he he was just would come in off the bench and provide a stabilizing factor that uh, their other point guard, Williamson, didn't necessarily have, who was more of a defensive guy. So then the Denver Nuggets decide to get him. Uh, Carl Shearer, this is part of his gamut to make the team a little bit tougher and um, a little bit more stable in their second unit. And it worked. Unequivocally, unequivocally adding Taylor to the Denver Nuggets in 1977 spurred this team on to something of a, a bit of a run. By the time we get into exactly halfway through the season, the Denver Nuggets are 28-13. and 13. Uh, and clearly the best team in the NBA. There was no doubt. If you talk to anyone who was around at the time, they will tell you that the Denver Nuggets were the best team in basketball, despite Bill Walton having an MVP year. Um, and this is prior to Walton getting injured. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, 28-13, and 13, um, and I believe the... Uh, the, the, the uh, Blazers had a better record at the time, but the Nuggets were hot on their heels and had, and once again, the Blazers had the best player in Bill Walton, but the Nuggets had the better team. Walton gets injured about nine games after what I'm going about about to talk about, and I think I think what we forget about the '70s Nuggets because none of us, I you know, quite frankly, I wasn't alive. I didn't wasn't born until '78. Um, I I think that we forget about this within the context of what of the NBA as it is now. What the Nuggets did in the '70s was monumental, and it was really not predicted at all. Um, as surprising as the two 1994 Denver Nuggets were. In beating the Seattle Supersonics, um, this was almost as surprising. An NBA, an ABA team coming in. The, the 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 New York Nets were like had to leave the state that they were in. They were forced out of the state they were in in order to buy buy the New York Knicks, who did not want another team in New York City. Um, and they were the one who suffered probably by far the most from uh, what was happening with the merger. But even uh, the Indiana Pacers uh, had to give up a bunch of players, uh, and were, tr were starting over with a with a uh, small forward named Alex English, uh, who will feature into the Denver Nuggets history later. 
Um, and the, um, uh, the San Antonio Spurs still had George Gervin and they were coached by Doug Moe and they were an okay team at the time. We weren't great, but they were okay. But the Denver Nuggets were by far the best of the ABA teams that came in. And it was a monumental, them winning 50 games in their first year was, was, uh, completely stunned everybody in the NBA and, up until 41 games into the 77-78 season, the Nuggets were on their way to being another powerhouse. And what happened after game 41 will go down is one of the under under um told part of Nuggets history. One of the things that has not been said enough about how this team was heading on an up and up and up trajectory and was completely derailed by one person quitting. And we'll talk about that on the other side. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple of blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block there, always online at bfwcolorado.com. They've got a location in Fort Collins. They've got a location in the dairy block. They got everything you need in your in your local wine uh, bar. Uh, everything you need to go in. And the vibe, and, and one of the things I always talk about with Blanchard is that you've, if you go into their Dairy Block location, it's just a great vibe. Um, and I, you know, that the, the especially if you're going into a wine bar, you kind of want a great vibe. And um, not only do they have great wines, but the, the the atmosphere is tremendous. They got a couch that I always sit on. I always there's a couch right on the. Uh, right hand side as soon as you walk through the door that's my that's my place that's where i like to sit um they've got reds they got whites they've got uh pinot they got uh syrah they got uh you know local colorado wines they've got rieslings they've got you know everything that you need in a local wine bar i would try um the 2019 i think cabernet is pretty good and um their Pinot is good when they have it. I didn't think, I don't think they had their own product in there yet, but it should be getting in there soon. Uh, and uh, ask uh, them about that, and they will let you know ETAs and all that stuff. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in under you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Brian Taylor was the factor that made that Nuggets 77-78 Nuggets team even better than it was uh, before. It was, um, he provided the same thing he had provided the New York Nets, the stabilizing factor. What people had uh, not counted on was uh, an interpretation of some backroom deals in order to bring T Taylor over to the uh, Nuggets that uh, came to a dramatic, extremely dramatic and stunning conclusion. The Nuggets uh, played the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1978, beat them. Taylor was nowhere to be found. Uh, that was the Nuggets' 10th win in a row. And uh, it was one of the, it was a culmination of a tremendous streak of cams. The Nuggets were just unstoppable uh, in that streak. They were blowing teams out of the water. 
and they were on their way to an even better record. Uh, the Nuggets had gone on a seven-game streak before that and a five-game streak before that. Those the Nuggets were, the Nuggets were putting together some real long uh, winning streaks that year. The Cleveland Cavaliers game, Taylor was nowhere to be found, um, and he made an announcement to the New York Times a day later. January 17th, 1978, uh, that he was now a free agent and that he had left the Denver Nuggets. Um, this was something that uh, was stunning to absolutely everyone. And to give you an idea of Taylor's grievances, I'm reading from the New York Times in uh, from January 18th, 1978, okay? Um, and he said, after he quit on the Denver Nuggets, what it all this is what it, uh, what it all boils down to, Taylor said by f telephone from his home in Denver, is that I was promised a certain that certain payments would be made to me at specific times. I feel like I have been tricked because I haven't received these payments. It's not like Denver made no promises to me at all. They did, but they haven't kept them. I was supposed to get $250,000 interest-free free loan that was to be paid to me in installments. I received the first $150,000. The second payment of $50,000 was 19 days late before I received it. The final payment was due January 1st. I gave them 15 days to make good on the payment, and when they didn't, I chose to be a free agent. I thought that was the best course for me. This is happening in the middle, right smack dab in the very middle of this Nugget season. That they were going up and up and up. You have Issel, you have Thompson, you have Jones, you got Larry Brown as coach. You have um, Donnie Walsh as assistant coach. You have... Um, Ralph Simpson, who was acquired at the at the, the the deadline, or would be acquired at the deadline after this incident, after they had traded him the year before, you have uh, a, just a stacked Denver Nuggets team, stacked, and the Nuggets, uh, I believe Marvin Webster could have been on the team, or was it the next year? Oh no, no, Marvin Webster wasn't on because he had been traded before that, so. This Denver Nuggets team was one of those teams that had it. And this, this incident was really weird. And it was sufficiently derailed the Denver Nuggets. From the 41st game on, the Denver Nuggets went 20 and 21. They were one game under 500. They got into the playoffs as the second seed in the West with a record of 48 and 34. And this Nuggets team, who knows what they would have looked like. Now, it's often blamed that um, the trade of Bobby Jones in the offseason was the moment that everything started to go to crap for the 70s Nuggets. Um, I will argue to you that it was a combination of Taylor um, quitting on the team 
the trade of Bobby Jones, the contract uh, for D- David Thompson and uh, Thompson's subsequent um, drug problem. There are multiple sides to this problem. Um, Carl Shear and this Nuggets Consortium had a problem. The Nuggets had been relatively saved and um, basically steadied by Shear's uh, investment and all of his, I think there was something like 30 owners of this of the Nuggets by ballasting them and making the Nuggets a viable team. Problem was, you're going to have to pay the piper. And who knows what happened here? Because the Nuggets never admitted to having an addendum that Brian Taylor interpreted as I can be a free agent. Essentially, Taylor was there on his old contract from the New York Nets. And the Nuggets um, responded by saying, we have fulfilled all our obligations to Brian under his contract. Asked why he had not sent the new agreement to the league office, he answered, it's not complete. It has been an ongoing discussion, restructuring a contract for his benefit, not ours. Shear denied that he had been trying to trade Taylor for a month. Brian uh, asked about all the trade talk involving him. I said I told him that none of it was true. I told him he was here to stay. There was this addendum would not have been that unusual, uh, particularly during these days of the NBA. They, they, They would often advance players' money, essentially, through loans. And the these advances um would look a ton like what you see with guaranteed and non-guaranteed contracts in the NBA or in the NFL this you know they um cash poor teams like the Cincinnati Bengals and some others uh who don't have extreme exceedingly rich owners will um essentially lo- get loans in order to pay out signing bonuses um, and this is sort of like that. This is in the days prior to the structures and strictures that we have right now of NBA contracts. Um, this is very much, uh, not really the Wild West, but close to it. Um, the interesting thing about this is in is January 17th, from January 17th to, I believe, February 20th. Uh, of the following year, Brian Taylor did not play. It was almost an entire year that uh, Taylor was out. Uh, let me see here. Let me get this right. No, the 15th. So uh, it was almost exactly a, um, a year and a month later, Brian Taylor did not play a game of basketball. He signed with the San Diego Clippers and finished his career with the Clippers. Uh, when I believe an injury basically ended his career in 1982. Um, it's too, it can be said that uh, regardless of what side that you come down on, this was not out of the ordinary with what the Nuggets and the way the Nuggets were operating in the 1970s. 
Now, Taylor quitting out of nowhere fundamentally changed this Nuggets team. Uh, I asked Dan Issel about this on a podcast I did with him about five years ago. And uh, his answer to me was, ah, Brian Taylor. Yes, uh, weird guy. <laughs> and if you want to go, I'll, li- I'll link that in the, in the description if you want to listen to it. Um, Issel, uh, his memory of the situation wasn't a um, about what the incident was it was just that he was a weird dude and despite all that he had completed this nuggets team taylor quitting left them without a backup point card and the nuggets were fundamentally altered going into those playoffs they managed to beat the milwaukee bucks they managed to uh uh, beat our our and and then get to the Western Conference Finals against the the eventual Finals appearance pers- people uh, the uh, team the uh, Sandy or excuse me the Seattle SuperSonics. Um, the Nuggets were a better team than the SuperSonics. Period. Even without Brian Taylor, they should not have lost that series. The Nuggets were the better team. And once again, they didn't fulfill what they needed to fulfill in the playoffs and everything that transpired from the off season in 1978 to, uh, through that 78, 79 season, um, essentially ended the group, the first golden era of the Denver nuggets. But it really began with Taylor completely abandoning the Denver nuggets. And you would never see something like this. I mean, uh, Ben Simmons did this refused to play. Um, but Taylor declaring himself a free agent is not something that you will see, uh, in the modern NBA quitting on a team and basically saying sayonara and leaving the nuggets scrambling. Um, I, I, yeah, that's unusual and it fundamentally changed the team. They, they were not the same. Thompson Thompson was able to to rise up and he had some great games at the end of the season. Uh, the last game of 1978, he ends up scoring 73 points, and um, you know he went in his in his uh, points battle with uh, for the scoring average uh, for uh, uh, George Gervin. And Walton ended up winning the MVP that year. Number two was Gervin. Number three was Thompson. You could probably interchange Thompson and uh, Thompson. Uh, excuse me, Thompson and Thompson and Thompson. Thompson and Gervin. You could probably interchange those two, two or three right there. Um, considering that the um, the Blazers were forty and ten when uh, uh, when Walton went down. Obviously, that was the consideration there, and he was a very deserved MVP for him. But the Nuggets were never right. They were never right again after Taylor left. And it's one of the great untold stories in Denver Nuggets history, how a guy essentially declares himself a free agent and quits on the team, and the Nuggets were not the same. They were just not the same. And it was the begin, the beginning of the end for the 70s Nuggets. And 
it was a you know it should let all of us know with this Nuggets team that is here right now in 2023. Sometimes it just takes something like this. Sometimes it takes. It depends on which way. There's the very little things, little things, like little margins can be altered by someone not being there, um, someone not being completely healthy. Um, there are things that that they hinge on. These things hinge on that basically you aren't always um, privy to. And this was a big story that has been buried. And it's what's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Taylor never commented about this on the Nuggets again. Um, and the Nuggets moved on. But it's been, it's, it was interesting to look back on and see how fundamentally that changed the Denver Nuggets. And uh, 20 and 21 the rest of the year. And then they flame out in this Western Conference Finals. The 70s Nuggets were basically done as of that moment. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.